Welcome back to Building Better Basketball, the Basketball Australia Coaches Podcast. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach and Volunteer Development Manager for Basketball Australia. Today's guest, Georgia Koopmans, has done a couple of things I've never done. She made 387 free throws in 15 minutes. For context, my personal best is 117. And she's recovered from a serious knee injury to get right back to NBL one level now from a really strong youth representative career with Victoria. Full disclosure, I've known Georgia since she was a young hooper, but I'm excited to not only get the tips of how I can smash past my goal of 150 next year, but also hear about how a coach can support an athlete through injury rehab and how, again, she's an example of a young Australian woman putting back on the coaching side of the sidelines as well as on the court. Georgia, welcome to Building Better Basketball. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Firstly, for those that are a bit confused about why we're talking about how many free throws Georgia made in 15 minutes, she's not the most fouled player in NBL <laughs> 1 history. Georgia and I both have a, a link to a charity in uh, Melbourne called Helping Hoops, who run a charity shootout every year. And the idea behind it is to make as many free throws as you can in 15 minutes. So just to repeat, my score this year in 15 minutes was 117. But paling in comparison to that, and the champion this year, and the first female champion as well, 387 successful shots in 15 minutes. Georgia, can you tell us a little bit about your history with the Helping Hoop shootout? And then I guess talk us through as a pretty accomplished basketballer, which we'll get to later, what your thought process for shooting free throws for 15 minutes straight was. Yeah, so it was, I mean, it was an amazing day. It always is. And my dad and I, this was our 10th year of participating in the Helping Hoops Charity Shootout. Um, I guess my dad definitely, he brought me into this. He was the former president for about 10 years of Helping Hoops. Um, and I guess I'd like to take the opportunity to really explain Helping Hoops as a charity as well and give them a bit of a shout out, um, which they're basically their base uh, basketball programs for over a thousand participants between the ages of eight and 21. Um, this includes children and youth from refugee backgrounds, living in inner city, public housing, um, those with intellectual disabilities or socioeconomically challenged in some way. Um, and I guess these programs, they aim to build not only a sense of community and belonging for these kids and for this youth, but it also teaches them stuff beyond basketball. It teaches them um, discipline. It teaches them goal setting. It teaches them these type of things that you need to bring into your um, into everyday life. And I think that, yeah, that sense of community and belonging that it provides for these kids and this youth growing up is just unmatched. And I think that that's a really amazing um, that's the reason that we do it because we're supporting this charity and we've always been really supportive of it and thought it was just amazing. So I think that really that brings into our 15 minutes of charity shootouts that it's just something beyond it's beyond yourself and it's helping something a lot bigger. And we've seen it grow from 10 years ago when I was, you know, tiny and we were in these. I think we had like a tiny little basketball stadium and it was the 24 hour shootout and it went for the full 24 hours um, to where it is now. And it's incredible how much it's grown over that time. And um, yeah, it's, it's amazing that we're still part of it. So, yeah. I remember, I remember that tiny gym that you were talking about and yeah. I remember <laughs> turning up at like being able to see my breath in the air and Adam opening the gym and doing the yeah. shots and then rebounding and yeah, yeah crazy. <laughs> where it's where it's come from and to so 
387 shots in 15 minutes. We won't do the we won't do the maths of that, what it works out as, but like just talk us talk us through the actual basketball side of the of the shooting. I mean, I've been trying to just beat my dad every year since the first year that we did it. And I think we've slowly the last couple of years beaten him, which was always a motivation behind the shooting. Um, but I think it's definitely just it's it's manic shooting for as quickly as you can and getting each ball up before the next one goes down. And I think it's yeah, it's just a process of getting as many shots up as you can, really. It's less thinking about every shot going in and more thinking about getting the next one up before this first one has actually gone through the ring. So it's a bit manic and a bit hectic, but um, I think take it once you start missing maybe like five, ten shots, you have to reset, and then it's just try and get as many as you can up in the 15 minutes. <laughs> so when you say reset, just what what are your like three things that you think about when you're shooting a free throw or like could just be one or whatever I think I think in the 15 minutes I need to think about using my legs and making sure that I get enough height on the ball because you get tired and that fatigue definitely gives you a flat shot so I think just resetting your feet resetting your legs making sure that you get enough depth when you're going down and then using your follow through um, are probably my three things that I would use to reset when I'm getting fatigued in those later minutes. <laughs> but yeah, it's just putting as many up as you can, I guess. There's definitely a sense of camaraderie that comes with it as well. I saw on your Instagram post, you shouted out your, because for those that don't understand, you're not just standing there shooting, rebounding your own shots. There's about four or five people that stand around that rebound for you that pass. So it's literally like Georgia says, you're just being past the ball, shooting past the ball, shooting. Yep. And I had to work this year, so I wasn't able to, uh, do it in person so I went to one of the shooting machines at Hoop City and it, it's definitely different when you have to like wait for the ball to come because yeah like, yeah you're in yeah. that mindset of just get shoot get shoot get shoot yeah yeah and I think the volunteers were amazing this year and they get better every year and just how quickly they can get you that ball back and that's definitely part of the 15 minutes is that you get tired you get fatigued and you've got this environment around you of people feeding you balls really quickly and cheering and it's it's such a positive environment um which is half the motivation you want to kind of beat the next person or beat my dad across the other side of the court just so <laughs> that we can you know reward the volunteers for what they're doing as well so yeah it's an amazing environment Yep. So Georgia joins the list of uh, famous names such as Adam Trelaw of Collingwood and Western Bulldogs, who won a couple of years ago. And then we've had a couple of men's NBL stars that have uh, taken home the title as well. So it's a, it's an illustrious title and definitely you'll go down in history as the first female winner, which is really cool as well for someone with such a long history with the program. Now, Navigating away from the free throw line, tell us a little bit more about your uh, basketball journey in, in the team sense, age group reps, down at the AIS, and now with uh, Knox and NBL One. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did a lot of my junior years. I did a couple at Latrobe Energy, and then I went to Dandenong Rangers um, through that kind of those junior years of average NBL. Um, I then went to the, I did three uh, state campaigns or national campaigns with Country Vic, um, which became bronze twice and silver once. And I was co-captain twice of those teams. Um, and then when I was 15, as a bottom, bottom age, I went to the AIS for the first time and tried out for my first Australian team, um, which I didn't make and then took a year off for some personal reasons. And then 
COVID kind of hit and then I went back and played for Casey in Big V, which was good. I was a real baby in that team and then did my knee. So I, I've, I've from, since then I've gone to Knox, Raiders and NBL 1. So that's kind of my pathway so far. So let's unpack a couple of things there. I do like how you just kind of went and COVID kind of hit. That's a really good, refreshing <laughs> attitude for what for many was a life-changing experience, but we'll come back to that yeah. on a later <laughs> question, Georgia. So with the with the AJCs that you were representing Victoria, obviously we've always in past episodes, we've talked about that in the background of uh, people's roles and ways that people have kind of gone through the journey, but you're the first person that we've had on the program that's actually represented at that level and there's always an element of pressure that comes with representing victoria as the biggest basketball participation state in australia there's always that expectation when you go to uh, those national championships to perform and as someone that's experienced that success and i think it is important to note that it is success because ultimately there can only ever be one winner so just getting to the finals a lot of the time is is a success how how was that for you as a I suppose for the coaches that are listening that are coaching the athletes that are striving to get to that level what was what were your main takeaways from stepping up from the the club representative level to that state representative level I mean, I was, I think, it, particularly in the first year of doing it, it was, I was just so grateful to, and I was all the way through just to be able to represent Country Vic. It was an amazing opportunity. And I think with the amount of training, I guess, as country athletes, we had a lot more uh, travel that we had to do throughout the, say, six months of our campaign. And um, all of that training that we did, definitely, uh, it was a big step up from the junior kind of trainings that we were used to. Um, and I think it was just an amazing opportunity to be part of something that you, like you said, is that step above and that you feel like um, you're kind of taking that next step in your basketball journey as well. But there was quite a bit of pressure. And I think that first year I was, I was very, um, I was very mentally, I think I was, I was very nervous, very um, timid kind of player in that sense. And I think, that was something that I definitely got to overcome throughout the campaign. And by the end of this, the tournament, it was like this massive relief that I had done something that I didn't think I necessarily could have done. And stepping on the court was a nervous mess and getting over that mentally. And then the second campaign was different in that I was a top age and I was one of the co-captains and that was a completely different experience. And it was now all of a sudden that pressure to perform, not just get on the court, but to actually do something really um, really good for the team and I think the third campaign was different again because I'd had a year off and so then it was just getting back into basketball in general and then the campaign was very early on in the year so it was getting back into basketball but then again top age uh, co-captain trying to perform in that team when I hadn't been on the court in a year was a different experience again and mentally I think that does impact the way that you shoot the ball or you play on the court is just feeling like that getting that confidence back and then actually being able to convert those shots and make those shots. And I think I struggled with that in the third campaign, definitely, because it was just a completely mental game for me coming back onto the court at that level. So, and wanting to perform for the team and wanting to do the things that I knew I could do. Um, 
so yeah they were all different experiences and they all tested me mentally and physically in different ways um but I think it's just such a learning curve as a junior player jumping into those as you get older so it was very different in every way I guess I think that's the the important thing to take away is that so many players and probably coaches think we just need to prepare our players to be able to do these skills and where they are in a skill matrix and what they can do and their understanding of offense and defense and tactics and things like that. But just, I think that the most important takeaway there is that the actual key thing when you get there is actually that the inner mental struggles as well and being prepared to, uh, I guess, analyze them internally, but also be able to communicate them externally as well to the team and to the coaches and, that's a great answer, Georgia. You touched on you did your knee. I've never been in the position where I've I've done a knee before, but I know especially in a basketball and in a sports sense, that can go one of two ways. It can be like something that people never kind of come back from and it's a career ender and they they don't have that drive to to get back on the on the court or on the field. And for some it's it's just another challenge, another motivation for them to to push on and and kind of get through it. Now, a couple of things here. What were you obviously, as we've touched on, you've you've come back bigger and better from your knee injury. For the coaches out there who have players in their team that that unfortunately the nature of sport will will suffer those. What were some of your main challenges coming back post your injury, and how did coaches and yourself motivate yourself through that recovery um I think there were definitely different elements that were different challenges for me um coming back from it I think obviously there's the physical component of living a really active lifestyle and then I guess for me I did my ACL and all of my lateral meniscus I tore as well so I did a good job of it got me into surgery quick which was amazing <laughs> um but I had some complications beyond that that was and I mean I had some allergic reactions to pain medication the next day day after that was back in the ambulance I had my appendix out so I was dealing with some different um physical I guess complications after that with stitches in my stomach and then my knee as well and I was on crutches for probably six to nine weeks. So I think physically that six to nine weeks was probably the hardest because you go, like I said, from living a really active lifestyle to not being able to even be independent and you can't get out of bed and you couldn't go, I couldn't use my crutches because of the stitches in my stomach and all of these different things. So physically that was probably the hardest part was that six to nine first weeks um, being on crutches and not being independent. And I think beyond that, it was the mental side of things. I think I had a really great physio for the first six months or so, Gaylene McFarlane, who really helped me post-op get back to just feeling like you could walk really comfortably again and getting back to running comfortably again. And she really helped me set those small goals that I could then see myself tick off. And that helped me feel motivated that I could see progress in my um, in my journey, I guess, post-op. But then beyond that, I went to SRA, who were a really great um, support for me in getting me back to, I guess, the elite athlete side of things. So I think that was a challenge was for me mentally feeling connected to the basketball world, because at that six to nine month mark, you're not doing a lot of basketball stuff yet. You're kind of just getting back into things and it's not at that elite level. And I think what SRA gave me was that environment to thrive 
amongst other semi-pro or pro athletes who were all trying to get back on the court better than ever as well. And I felt like every session you did there, you were getting hyped up by other people. You were in that environment again. And I think maybe coaches don't recognise that that is a big time gap between that 12 months of even just getting back into a team and getting back onto the court with a team. And there is definitely that that uh, point in time where you're not connected to the basketball world and you, you're still working and you're still six to nine months. You've still got a few months left to even really get back into a team, but you disconnect it. And I think I live, well, I have lived with my family in a rural country town. We, we don't have any local basketball necessarily that's at that level. Um, so it was just me traveling from Warrigal to Lilydale a couple of days a week just to be part of that, to be part of that um, environment. And it was 100% worth it, but it was a mental mind block before that point to actually, you know, be part of that world again and feel like you're getting that motivation to be part of that world again as well. So that was probably it. So with your trips to Lilydale that you did, how did the coaches, I guess, start to reintegrate? you into that basketball team environment how did that kind of uh, what were those steps after that kind of six to nine month window I think for me it started off with just I mean literally something as simple as just checking in with how my rehab was going every week or so every couple of days how did this exercise go how did that go how did that feel and slowly that progression in the gym but then also doing some sessions with their coaches there on court as well and getting back into my individual stuff um, which was which was actually a bit of a mind block for me as well mentally was just getting back on the court individually, not being part of a team and feeling like you were good enough to be at that semi-pro level again. And I think I was, yeah, I think it was a mental mind block for me and it was good to have some coaches that were really supportive and that were keeping you accountable and checking on you and see how you're going and hyping you up on the court as well and making you feel like, okay, I'm doing something good and I've progressed this week more than I did last week. And that made the travel worth it for me. It's, it's yes, it was a bit of a commitment to travel down to Lilydale or to Knox or to wherever I was going to do those on-court sessions, those gym sessions, but that environment was just what kept your motivation going because it was positive and it kept you connected to that world. And I think I needed that at that point in time at that six-month mark for sure. So, yeah. Awesome. Georgie, you, as I touched on, dipped your toes in the coaching water yourself and you've mentioned about where you you live in in country victoria as well where the resources for young people to get good quality basketball coaching is is not as abundant as in as it is in the metro areas and perhaps as an element of travel there so by offering a resource such as yourself in the local community it was very much appreciated so tell us a little bit about georgia Koopman's the basketball coach and then how that compares to Georgia the player and how it's changed Georgia the player afterwards as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, like you said, I started it in, well, I started in year 10 of high school and I've kept it going pretty much up until now um, out of school as well, just to provide some more kids with that, I guess, a higher level of basketball coaching in this country town. There's not a heap of opportunity or resources, like you said, um, beyond Warrigal to kind of outsource. And I think another motivation for me to do that was that, like, I hadn't had a female coach until this year. 
So I think for me, it's it's been hard to find female athletes in the country town, but I wanted to show even for like young male athletes coming through that there are female coaches that can do this and female athletes that can do this and can teach you something as well in a in a different way than potentially a, a male coach could. And that's not saying that one's, you know, better than the other or anything like that, but it's a different thing that, like I said, in all my years of basketball, I never saw a, a head coach, female coach for me. Um, there were assistant coaches for sure, but I think I love the idea of for that little girl, that whatever, to be able to look up to me and go like, oh, I want to play at that level one day. And, and she, Georgia taught me something this week. Or, and that's for young women growing up and that's for young men in the area as well. And I think it started off with just individual sessions and then it became, it grew into something a bit bigger, which became my group sessions every week. And I think it gave me the opportunity to be the coach that I always wanted in my basketball um, career, I think. And that's just in my mind, that's being something more than just a number and a player in a team. I think sometimes in your junior years, you can get lost in being in a Div 3 team, Div 2 team, Div 1 team, and you're just a player within that team. And I think I always loved the coaches that showed me that I was valuable beyond basketball and that showed me that it was okay to have things going on in your personal life and that they would be supportive of you on the court and off the court. And that brought the most out of me as a player. And I think I wanted that for the coaching that I was doing. I wanted to show these kids that, because I was coaching kids between the ages of six and say 14, 15, showing these kids that there is, yes, I can, we can teach you something and you can come here and I want to be that supportive hype girl for you that you, you know, you really enjoy coming to these sessions and you learn something and it's fun. And I think that's the biggest thing I wanted and that I loved from previous coaches was coming to a training where you were actually excited to touch the court and that you thought that you were progressing and you could hype each other up. And I really wanted to create that environment for the kids as well, that they could feel like they could cheer for a teammate who's done a great layup or done a great shot or something like that. And I think that coaching gave me that opportunity to really go like, what, what coach do I want to be? What coach have I really loved growing up and I think that environment and that support and that feeling like you are more than a player to the coach and to your teammates and being able to talk about school when they get there and you know what classes do you love and what, what are you doing here what are you doing there I wanted to show that they're valuable beyond just being on the court and being a good player and I think in saying that like that just is also when they're struggling with something individually with their shot or something like that, like taking that extra time to do an individual session with them beyond the group to show that, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm valuing you as an individual in your basketball aspirations, I guess. And if you're struggling with something, I'll take the time to help you through that and help show you that and teach you that. And it's it doesn't matter if you're going to be the next best Australian player, if you're going to be the next NBA draft, if you're going to be just playing domestic with your friends, that what you want to learn, I'm here to help you with. And I think it shouldn't be just the value placed in players that have those aspirations of being something amazing, like that they are valuable just as as much as any other player, no matter how great they are or how what their ideal is with basketball. I think it's important to show people that they're valued and that you will take the time for them. So I wanted to do that with these kids as well. George, I'll be putting uh, my son Freddie in the car as soon as he's... Uh old enough to drive to get him down to Warrigal. <laughs> a coaching, a coaching pitch like that will have you having people coming out the door. That's awesome. <laughs> is there 
a specific coach that you've had or seen that you think uh, th they would be a really good coach for me or that's what I want to be like as a coach? Is there someone you, you modelled yourself after? I don't think anyone specifically. I think it was just a combination of different attributes from different coaches, from different levels. So that could be from my squad coach at Warrigal Warriors who coached me. He's like an uncle to me now. We call him Uncle Shane. Um, he had a massive impact on my early years in basketball. And then you go to VJBL and you've got coaches there who give you something else and you see what you, what you like and what you don't like. And I think I've just taken little bits from different coaches. And I think as a player, I know for myself that I really, like I said, I value that positive environment. I think um, for me, coaches that yell and scream and lose it and it doesn't feel like a positive environment I'm stepping into mentally affects me and my performance and being able to play at that level. And I know every player is different, um, but I think I know for myself that a coach that is positive and supportive and shows you that value on and off court, because like you said, we've had COVID, we've had a lot of things in different people's personal lives that people have had to overcome every day. And I think feeling comfortable, and that's what I wanted to do as a coach, was allow the players to feel comfortable to come to me as a, as a person and say, hey, this has happened in my life. You know, it's not saying you have to get out of trainings all the time, but, hey, I'm sick, or, hey, I've, I'm a bit injured, or, hey, this is happening at home, I can't train this week. And understanding people, like players as an individual, that it's not just a person that's trying to make up your five on five on the court but that they actually feel comfortable coming to you with an open dialogue and letting you into their personal life as well beyond a player and I think I wanted to do that for those kids even though it was a lower level with some younger kids there and I think I value that in my coaches as well is feeling like you have that connection to them that you can be transparent and you can be open with them and you can let them know where you're at because some days you will train worse than others and there, there will be different reasons for that. Sometimes there's no reason. Sometimes you've got stuff happening at home. Sometimes you've got other things going on. And if you don't, if no one knows about that, then you're just performing badly. So I think being able to openly communicate is a really um, important thing and feel valued beyond the court. It also just helps create that team, like family environment, I guess, as you get you get older and you're in the higher levels of basketball, you're, you're seeing these people three, four, five times a week and you're, you're traveling to get there and it's, it's a commitment. So you want to feel like you're connected to those people, you're connected to your coach and you've got that, I guess, united family that you feel like you can talk to other people as well in your team about how they're doing. So, yeah. Awesome. Georgia, our last question, and we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, if you could ask any coach in any sport a question and they can be with us or passed on, who would the coach be and what would the question be? So the coach that I chose um, coached me in when I was like 14, uh, once when I was like under 16s and then in the under 18s nationals as an assistant coach, um, now an Australian coach, David Herbert. And I think my question for him is how do you bring at an elite level so many different players from different demographics, from different backgrounds, with different basketball histories together in a sense that brings out the most in each individual player and the most out of the team? I think that's my question. How do you bring out both sides of the team to be united and to get the most out of everybody? I love it. And what we're going to do, is it's been he's been on the list and he's offered to come on. We'll get Herbie <laughs> on soon. And Amazing. That will be... <laughs> 
Question number one submitted by loyal listener and previous guest, Georgia Koopmans. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Roger, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Congratulations again on winning the shootout and all the very best for the rest of the season with Knox. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>